Hey everyone and welcome to this special edition of Risky Business recorded at Ossert's 2013 conference on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. All of our Ossert podcasts are sponsored by Sophos, security made simple, Datacom TSS, discreet, niche, tailored, and bugcrowd.com, outsourced bug bounty programs. Big thanks to all our sponsors for making it possible for us to bring you all of these podcasts. And you can follow all of our Ossert coverage at risky.biz slash Ossert or via the RB2 RSS feed at risky.biz slash feeds. And we're going to kick off our coverage today with Ossert's opening keynote from yesterday by Michael Jones, Google's chief technology advocate. He's charged with advancing technology to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Which, uh, yeah, sounds like a completely cushy job, right? Small tasks. Michael has worked as chief technologist of Google Maps. Uh, Google Earth was the CTO of Keyhole Corporation, the company that uh, developed the technology behind Google Earth, and was also the CEO of Intrinsic Graphics, and was director of advanced graphics at Silicon Graphics. So he's, uh, you know, he's done a few things in tech. His presentation was called Security's Biggest Risk, and it basically boils down to the dumb stuff bringing us unstuck. And, uh, you know, he really speaks about where we have to do more. It's a very high-level talk that definitely has its moments, and I hope you enjoy it. Here he is. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. The ambition now is set that uh, if the scale is five stars, we need to get a six. So we'll have some questions at the end. I'm going to make my remarks... Not brief, but uh, no longer than they need to be, and, and that means that we'll have time to take questions. So as I'm talking, if I say something that makes sense to you, you want to comment on, or that doesn't make sense to you, you want to challenge that, very welcome to do that. Just uh, ask questions at the end. Okay. So I had promised to talk about what I feel is security's greatest risk. And the way I talk about things, the way I think about things is a little bit strange. So you have to like really think as I talk. Okay? It's not like just slides for you to read. You gotta think. So here we go. So what's the greatest risk? Well, let's take a look at this. How many people are there in Australia as of last month? 23 million. Very good. Okay. How many people are there in this audience? About a thousand, right? So each of you, let's say the computer security experts of Australia, has to take care of 23,000 Australians or else they won't have computer security. Does that make sense? Now maybe like, uh, maybe you're like not as good as the others and the guy beside you's gotta do like twice as many. You know, it's not, not exactly the same, but, but the, the sense of obligation needs to be understood. The, out of the, out of the, out of the, out of the 23 million, the thousand are here. The 22,999,000 who don't know what to do, they're out there. Okay? They fill the country, and they're counting on you to make something happen. The same way you count on the fire department to fix the, the fire brigade to come put your fire out, the water people to make sure the water's safe and clean. So there's a whole country counting on something to have happen, and you're the ones they're counting on. And that's the topic I want to talk about this morning, because there's something that I've learned, or we've learned at Google, that I could share with you that might help you, and you're at the exact and most important time to do this. So I want to encourage you to step out of your normal lives a little bit and try a little bit harder. And that's what I'm going to talk about. So let's look at Google. How many people are there on the earth? About 7 billion people. So we take it to our job to make sure that those 7 billion people have the greatest information security we can give them. Now, they don't all work with us. I mean, they don't all use our products, so we can't, like, send it over to them if they don't use our products. But anybody that touches our products, we try to make sure that 
We use every possible tricky way we can to make sure they're safer and better off than they would have been otherwise. And I want to encourage you to do that too. So I'm going to give you some examples of that. Our ratio is even higher than yours. So if we can do it, you can do it. So let's start with this. There's a, there's a long history of national service posters starting in Great Britain with somebody saying, I need you. I need you to help solve this problem that our nation faces. And that happens in wartime. It happens in times of uh, famine or drought. It happens in uh, hurricanes or typhoons or tsunamis. Whenever there's a problem, people in a country band together as a team to fight the problem, the menace, overcome it and save their country. And right now, I wouldn't say it's a menace, but right now you have this special situation, which is this one. You have the advent of the national broadband network. You have a, a scenario where a greater percentage of people are going to have high-speed modern networking. They're going to be able to embrace that in all the ways that people like Google and Facebook and Apple dream of. And it's going to be a, like an Internet wonderland for us. And the question is, how do we make sure this Internet wonderland for them? Okay, because it doesn't just happen on its own. It, the, it, it's a good thing, but it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a garden that needs to be weeded and policed. And so we're gonna, how are we going to do that? Because there's a thousand of you here, and I don't think a thousand, each of you is ready to take care of 23,000 people. And, and that, that's my concern. I think you're probably able to take care of the bank and the hospital and the police, but I don't think you're really thinking about all the people. And that's my maybe different perspective this morning to share with you, is that it's our business at Google to think about all the people. I mean, really think about that all the time, all the people. And I feel like there's a disconnect between us caring about the people and you caring about the bank and the airline and all the important things, and there's just a big gap. And I want to encourage you to think about that. So let's think about this. So if we're going to have a good experience for the people of Australia with their broadband, then whatever the risks are of broadband have to be mitigated. And obviously we could teach them to avoid the risks. They could all become junior IT people, and we could tell them what to do, and they would just do it. That would be a nice answer. or we could do it for them in some way. Or we could change things so that there wasn't a problem to have in the first place, which is even better. You know, smart people fix problems and geniuses avoid problems, right? So I want you to join us in this victory job for all the people of Australia that aren't at the conference today. So let's imagine all these people are going to have the broadband, or getting it already, but all these people... They're going to want to have a router, right? I mean, they're, going to, they're not going to probably want to plug in one computer because they're going to have a TV set or, or you know, various things. So they're going to put it with a router, Wi-Fi router. <clears throat> now, those of you that understand this, which probably almost all of you, which routers come pre-configured with a custom, unique to that product, password? None of them, right? None of them, zero. Well, like... How hard would that be? You know, in the manufacturing, you just make up a random number, you print some little hex code on the box, and then they all wake up with a real password of a button on top that you could push that would make the password be ignored or something. But the point is, you could make the box so that it came with a password. Instead of coming with a manual that says inside it, you should set up a password other than default or admin or admin one. See that? That's how it is for real, is it starts broken and requires computer thinking to fix it. I'm thinking if you have 23 million people, people in this room could agitate 
to say the boxes that are going into the field should be like this. They should be friendly. What ports, you know, there's a firewall. What, <coughs> what ports are allowed to be active? You know, I think you would be wise to think about none. You know, it's not none, you know, but I mean, uh, 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 but you know, we kind of reduce this to like port 80 and a couple of things and like leave nothing, like just lock it down as the default setting. You could change it. It's just a product you can change, but why not start right instead of hoping that they find out that how to fix it before they get damaged by people that are marauders, right? It would be reasonable for intelligent people to deliver a box that's going to bring joy and, 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 and protected than to give a box that's open for damage and not. Is universal plug-and-play turned on? You know, internet plug-and-play? Sometimes yes. Well, like, that might be handy or it might not be handy. It might not be worth the risk of how handy it is. And so I've got a list here of simple, trivial things. Like, is the, is the, uh, is the, is the, is the logging turned on for all the web addresses visited? Okay. It's by default on, on Cisco box, link sys boxes. Is there going to be a privacy issue when the police sees somebody's box? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just saying there's a list of things that one can anticipate ahead of time. And if one does nothing about them ahead of time, then one has basically sabotaged 23 million people who don't know better. I mean, and I'm not, not, not that they all don't know better, but I mean, that for the most part, they don't know better. So I think that's really substandard. I, I'm sure if you were doctors instead of computer experts, you would care about food quality and medicine quality and care of people that weren't doctors. So I want to encourage you to think about computer security people that aren't computer security people. Now, also good reasons to care about the, the more real thing, but this is pretty important. Because if you do that, making trivial changes that you all know, there are 23 million people who will all have a better experience than they're otherwise going to have. And I just, I would urge you to do that. Really think about that. Like that would be the, like Ossert got engaged, gave real advice, strong-armed people, kicked legislators until in the end, boxes came into the houses that were safe. Okay? That's really important. These are people who need you. It's like babies. They need you to feed them. They need you to take care of them. Need to care of them. Now, the next thing you could do, just, just conceptually, is I think most of you know that computers have problems, and that software needs updating, and that bad guys figure things out, and that exploits get taken advantage of. And so after uh, in 1997, 96, 97, a company called Oil Change in Silicon Valley had the idea of automatically pushing new device drivers and software patches to people's computers. And uh, <clears throat> that, that led to not, not their success, unfortunately, but the success of Microsoft with their software console, <clears throat> update console, um, you know, it, uh, it, it created this ambiance where you expect uh, Steve Ballmer to say, hey, I'll see you next Tuesday, right? So uh, the, the notion of software that gets better over time with no action on the part of the user is a fantastic notion. It, it, your car doesn't do that. It doesn't get better just sitting in the driveway, right? It doesn't just get better. It doesn't clean itself. It doesn't get, like, tune up. It just sits there and rusts. It doesn't get better on its own, but computers actually can get better if you let them. So here's the thing. Does the, does the computer that people buy come with that turned on or turned off? Off. Well, like, well, you know, like, it's, it's unbelievable to invent, like, heaven and then, like, not go there, okay? So, so it just seems, it seems reasonable to me that for these 
23 million people that don't know what to do necessarily that maybe the software does that. Maybe the ISP, national ISP situation, can look at that and say, wait, you haven't done any updates in a long time. I'm going to, like, send you a mail. Hey, Bob. Hey, Michael. You didn't update in the last three months. You really should, you know. It's been three important things since then. Hit the update. I mean, that is, you could make it automatic to know if they updated. Because you, as the government, you know, National League of ISPs, can know if they've gone to the update websites. Now, maybe they have a Raspberry Pi. Maybe they have an Amiga. Maybe they're outside of what you know about. But in general, they have a Linux uh, or Windows or Mac, and you probably can figure out what's going on pretty easily. That's the kind of thing that actually people in this room could devise a scheme and convince a government to do that would make life better for every single citizen. I would encourage you to think about that. The other choice that is usually uh, thought about for these kinds of problems is education. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, I mean, I'm a big fan of education, but uh, sometimes people are too big a fan of education. That is, they think that telling somebody what's better will make them do something different than what they want to do. And that, that suggests a certain naivete of how humans work. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking sides, it's just humans don't work that way. You know, like, I don't know if, if they have, like, uh, you know, teenage sex counseling in Australia, in the United States they say, just don't. But it doesn't really have a powerful impact. And, and so it's, it's, it's um, you know, a more effective approach maybe is to say, be safe. See what I'm saying? It's different. It's not the outcome you want, but it's the closest you can come to what you want that actually, actually you can get. And so a, a practical person might value that highly. And so one of the things that comes up is in education is that often education is thought of as teaching people. That is, people imagine education as telling. They imagine education as, on the part of the, the student, receiving. And they imagine testing as a kind of verifying that it all went inside and can come back out again. That, 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 is, a, that is something, but that isn't really the kind of education that smart, capable, inventive geniuses ever aspire to give anybody. It's the kind they try to escape from. Alfred North Whitehead said, Education is the architect of our dreams. I don't know if your school was like the architect of your dreams or not, but uh, that kind of education gives you facts, gives you motivations, and inspires you to try new things, to want to understand. That makes you a tinkerer. You know, the kind of education that would be a good education in welding would make you put a car together. You know, it wouldn't make you know how to disassemble and reassemble a welding tool. It would actually make you want to make something. See, so, 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 so here's the deal. If your education of people, for example, your staff, your, you know, the, your, your IT staff, the employees of your bank or your company, your uh, children in, in the school that your children go to, if, if your outreach, your sort of computer security missionary behavior doesn't make them want to actually teach other people, then you have failed because it doesn't go anywhere. That video was actually great because the young people in the video were not only were they aware of some modern way to learn about something, but they were like missionaries talking about it to strangers, you know, hypothetically. That's really important. So these things are important. People learn from other people. So if you don't teach people something they will repeat to teach, then the world won't get taught. But if you do teach them something they'll, they'll teach their friends, the world will get taught. Everybody knows how to use Google Maps. They know how to use Facebook. They know how to use an iPod, even though it has a very strange user interface. I mean, you know, it's a sense of unusual compared to all ones before it, right? So you would think it might be confusing to people, but everybody had a friend that said, oh, you go like this, and it works great. So, you know, that is, 
it wasn't like Steve Jobs went door to door teaching it, right? And there's not like iPod for dummies. Is it everybody's a friend and they showed them, right? So, so that, that method is important. So Socrates knew that, Plato knew that. I think in computer security training, we don't always act like we know that. The other thing I point out is that successful control of a situation usually involves operational knowledge of the ground truth of how things are. It might be good news, might be bad news. That, you can deal with that. You're in, ch in charge. But you need to know what it is so you can fix it. You know, if the power is out, you work on the power. If the water is out, you work on the water. If you don't know what's wrong, you, can't, you don't know what to do, right? And so here's what I'm going to say. There are many, many kinds of any of antivirus software. There are many, many kinds of system malware detection tools. There, there, there are many of all these things. Imagine, since you have a national broadband network now, imagine if those things in Australia had to be installed and turned on by default for computers shipped into Australia. That'd be good. What if they had to tell the ISP how recently they did a, a test? And if they hadn't done one in a month, it would send mail to the people. <clears throat> so you, you actually can control things that most countries can't control. You can do things that most countries can't do. You have, as a nation, some of the privileges that other, that businesses typically have in their IT professionals. So I'd like you to think about that for your, for the people of your country. How can you serve them better? Because they, I think they deserve that. You know, they're, they're good. They trust you to do the right thing for them. And I don't think we're all tend to think about them the way we need to. <clears throat> now, there's also a set of things that Google can do. This is a, a small Google data center. This is 50,000 CPUs, uh, eight cores. So that's 400,000 processors. Um, that's uh, half of a data center. So you get two of those in a data center. There are a dozen or so data centers. So we have a lot of, a lot of computers. And uh, every day, one and a half billion people come to visit us uh, to go to the website and do a search. Different people. And they do a lot of searches, but they at least one and a half billion different people on, on weekdays. And so we have a lot of services that we do that talk to a lot of users. So we have 800 million or so Gmail users. We have 900 million or so Android phone users. We have a billion daily Google Maps and Earth users. We have 1.5 billion daily Google search users. So we see, it's not, and they aren't all, all different people. I mean, some of those people, you know, have a phone and do a search, right? They're not, they're not like, you can't really add them up. I put a plus sign, but I meant these are categories that are all in play, but there might only be 2 billion or 2.5 billion people. So every day we see, say, 2 billion of the 2.5 billion people that are online. We see them. I mean, we, you know, see them, but I mean, we interact with them in our computers. So our thought was, well, what can we do for them? To show them a good time. Obviously, we could do a search for them or show them a video on YouTube. We could show them a good map. You know, our products, we try to make the products good. But we could also use the interaction with users to make their computer experience good, make the Internet safer, make, make things better somehow. So we, we're always thinking, how can we make this better for people? <clears throat> because we don't have the kind of position that you have where you're intimate with the people. So uh, two years ago, there was an article in the Atlantic Magazine called Hacked. I, I did anybody read that? I know it's... Like, you probably don't even know what that is. Okay, Atlantic Magazine is a you know, big brain kind of uh, political think magazine on the East Coast of the United States, uh, 100, 200 years old. And a friend of mine is a writer there. His name is Jim Fallows. And in that article, he describes how he and his wife got up and discovered that she couldn't log into Gmail anymore and that some people had changed her password and, and stole all her stuff and sending out weird messages to send money to rescue them 
through Western Union or something, just some weird, you know, Nigerian uh, hacker scam. And so they, they tried to figure it out. She was in tears. She couldn't, like, she, she, like, couldn't. She had pictures from, like, her family that she put in Gmail. She had interviews. She's a writer. She had interviews she had done with, like, Nobel laureates. And they was all gone. And it was as though her whole life had just evaporated. And she was seriously, like, emotionally distraught. It wasn't like she was unhappy, like her car was wrecked, because she could just buy another car. It was like the family Bible was gone, or the, the pictures of grandmother. You know, it was, it was like a thing that she couldn't replace. The people already passed away, and it was all disappeared. And so, in the end, they, they, they broke, Jim gave up on his professional journalistic in, uh, distance and called me and said, called Eric and me and said, you've got to help me. My wife's going crazy here. We've got to fix this. You know? So, uh, uh, I got engaged in that, and and uh, what it turns out is that people make themselves very vulnerable to account hijacking. And of course, of course, you know this. I know, I know you know this. But we see it two billion times a day. Those people, the ones who are most vulnerable. So I'm going to tell you what what we've learned in our triage process and what we've done about it, because it might help you in what you do in your professional process. So first thing we did, and this is the most important thing, was we came up with the idea of two-factor authentication or multi-factor for consumers. I know security people just for the last 20 years, I'm not, I'm not making a big deal about Google inventing anything. I'm just saying that trying to convince grandmother to use two-factor authentication, we, we decided to make that bold step, okay? And uh, we, you know, because we couldn't give everybody a USB dongle, you know, dongle, uh, the, the crypto stuff in it. We have those as employees. But we, we said, what we're going to do is we do this. We'll, we'll get your uh, phone number, and we'll send you an SMS of the second, of the, of the, just a six-digit number. And that's enough, because, you know, the bad guy has your phone and your computer. He probably has you, too, at gunpoint or something, so there's, and we can't help you. But, but because, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, we, we can't help that. We can't help everything. But if, if it's uh, the typical uh, Ivory Coast bad guys or Russian mafia bad guys or, in some cases, Chinese bad guys, then they're basically trying to break into 10,000 accounts at once. They'll do a few million a day, right, the target. And so... Those people, they don't have your purse. They don't, they don't have anything about you. you know, they don't know your dog's name. You know, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have all this stuff. So, so uh, we set up two-factor, and then we started proselytizing. I don't know if you use Gmail, but if you log into Gmail, it says, please, please set up two-factor. Please. You know, so it's this constant uh, badgering of people to do this. And we've, we've been only partially successful. We've probably got maybe 20 or 30% of people converted to that. <clears throat> But it's 20 or 30 percent of 800 million. So I mean, it's still 160 million people. So it's not like nobody. Um, and we had added new options. Uh, I did an interview with one of the reporters that's here, uh, and she uh, said she didn't want to give Google her phone number because it's just too much, telling Google too much. And I said, well, that, that's fine with me, but I mean, your, your email is exposed, you know. So, so uh, I said you, you can go on that same system and you can print out a list of like codes, you know, like cheat sheet, put that in your purse or something, and just print out some numbers for it. You can use those. Do something so that, and, and I, don't, I don't know if you understand how this works at, at Google, but what happens is if the first time you log in on a new computer, you know, you, new, it says, wait, this is a new computer. I want you to see the second factor. You, you password, then it wants you to see the second factor. And so uh, once a month or once every two months, if it's a, or if it's a new computer, you've got to do this thing. So it's a little inconvenience. Just every now and then to put in one more number that gets sent to your phone. But in exchange for that, Basically, nobody can break into your computer or your Google account. So that's like, that's great for people. And it's, 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 um, it's, it's not like that they want it because they don't know that they need it. But if you, you could, once this article came out, I started getting, because it, it talks about me in the article, how I saved his wife and 
how they love me now, name their baby after me, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. So uh, in, in, uh, uh, in, after that article came out, ever since then I get constant stream of emails from desperate people whose life has almost ended because they lost their mail account and they want me to fix it. And I can tell you, I, I say, look, I want, I want to be able to talk to you if you don't promise me, swear to me that you'll go for the two-factor and tell your friends to do it. So I'm saying it's, it's really important. And of course you know why, but just so you know why, they use their Gmail account at the, like, flimsy fly-by-night, you know, I don't know, porn site or some other kind of flimsy, you know, non-sturdy thing. And so they use their Gmail address as their username. So whoever runs that, whatever it is, place, knows everything about them. So if that group ever leaks, ever gets uh, an agent inside it to just take the database or whatever it is, then people, these people are, are hopeless. And I want you to understand that Google and Microsoft and Yahoo, the larger uh, public web mail providers, um, between us, we have maybe like 100,000 people a day whose accounts get hijacked. It's, it's, a, it's, it's crazy. And it's all through self-inflicted injury. Okay? There's a big deal. So we, so we did this because we had to help them. They didn't know better. Like children, they all want candy all the time. That, that, that candy's great, but not, not all the time. You gotta have some milk sometime, right? Okay. So if they do that, there's no more problem. And the good news is now, Amazon's doing it on AWS. Dropbox does that. If you do uploads, you can sign up for this two-factor thing. Facebook does it. If you sign up for something special, Microsoft does it. If you sign up for something special, none of these make it mandatory. Right? But, they, but they make it possible. So I think we showed that it was workable. Your customers wouldn't all hate you for it. Because in a normal security environment, like a military intelligence community, you just make people do things whether they like it or not. We, we, we got consumers to be willing to do it. And then now everybody else is saying, well, okay, they'll put up with that. We'll do it too because it's really good. You know, it's good for everybody. So if you're not, if you're not pushing this onto your users in your, in your work environment, you're making a big mistake. You could be doing this and they'll put up with it because they already do it at home on their Gmail. All right. Now, next thing is, is Google search itself. We said, well, people go to Google search a billion times a day. What can we do to make that special? And we did something tricky two years ago. Here's what we did. We made it so when you go to google.com, we redirect to the, the secure encrypted version of google.com. Okay? We do that in all but the 15 or so countries where that's illegal. I'll leave it to you to figure out which ones those are. Um, <clears throat> So now, people always could have come to the HTTPS site and get the SSL version, but they didn't. You know, is your mother going to go to an SSL? I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just not in anybody's mind. See what I'm saying? Hopefully it's on your mind, but it's not on their mind. Those 23 million people would never get that safety going for them if it was just up to them, even though you might at the bank or something. But by just doing it automatically, it just works for everybody. And doing that, we do that, you know, at uh, several billion queries per second, all the, all the, all this SSL stuff. We learned how to make it go really fast, and we've been consulting with internet companies around the world, giving them advice on how we did that and what, what, what seems to work for us in terms of code and design. So, I mean, so it's, it's, it's not like these companies are all competitors, but they're not enemies. They're, they're in love with the customers. And so we want to make the customers happy and successful. So we're sharing all, us, our competitors, and them back and forth with us to make this work for all websites. It's time for everything to be SSL. Now, something else that we do, and, and I'm giving you an example of what we do, not to tell you Google, to get you to say, you should do this yourself. 
The national broadband should be this way. Your company should be this way. Your customers should be told this. So when you use Google search and you find some questionable website that, that we have found when we did a crawl of the web and we, we, we did a sandbox VM thing, we, let, we went to that website, clicked on all the buttons, and we saw what OS files got changed, right? So we, we, have, a, we have a VM way of testing actually whether things change our computers. Um, that website is bad news. We know that. Now, Chris, it's a computer figuring that out. We don't know what, exactly what was wrong, but if you go there and you click the right way, you're going to be in trouble. So if you, if you get a Google search result for one of those websites, what we do is we uh, show you this warning that says, you don't want to go here. You know, this is like, this could be, now, we, can't, we can't say don't go here because we're not like a dictator. We're just like trying to say, hey, you know, that, that, you know, that is not really past the sanitation grade. Don't eat that, you know. And then, uh, but, and we tell you, you can click, it'll tell you all about how malware is bad and so forth. But if you click anyway, and it's one that we think is really bad, like really, really bad, okay? And I, I can't say exactly what really, really bad is, but it's uh, like really bad, okay? Um, <coughs> so, like if you go there, your computer will never be the same again. You know, your, 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 your bank account's gone, you know, that, you know, that kind of stuff. So, if it's really bad, we won't even take you there. We take you to, there's a red screen here. We take you through a full red screen with a dialogue in the middle, and it varies by language, whatever you're in, and it says, look, don't go here. It's a mistake. Whatever you think is there, it's not worth it. You think it's a ringtone? It's going to rape you. Don't go there. You know what I mean? Just just don't, you know? So, so we tell them that. Now, you still, it's a button. The green button says, go back. Okay? But we don't stop them from going there. I mean, you can still go there, but we, like, beseech them not to go there. Okay? And we've done this for you know, 160 million web pages, uh, and it has reduced dramatically the number of people who use Google, at least, to get to those bad places. Now, once again, I mean, we're not in charge of the places or the people, so we can't, like, really do anything, right? But we could be like a, a policeman in the intersection saying, drive nicely, let her go through. You know, we're kind of doing that thing, um, trying to put some courtesy into this. Uh, and, of course, we also report all those to uh, stop, stopbadword.org and so forth. But... Um, that's something you can do when you don't have authority. You can still interject yourself to say, wait, it's a company computer. Are you sure you want to be going to that website with this computer? Because that's like not a good plan. Okay? That kind of thing. Now, we did something else that's kind of strange. I don't know if you know about this uh, virus total. Virus total is not one of those uh, on that, that list you had of all the sponsors. Virus total is a Google-sponsored, uh, funded uh, website. It's an antivirus system checking website. And it's all free. And it works in an interesting way. So it's, I'll tell you how it works in case you don't know. Here's how it works. We're, we're not competition. Don't be afraid if you're one of those companies. We work with all those companies, and we buy their software, run them on our computers, and when people have a file they want to check, they upload the file to us, and we check it with all... You can't read it, of course, but that left-hand column there is like A through Z of any virus software in the world. And the middle column is A through Z of website checking software in the world. And we have all those. We, you know, we buy them. I work with the companies. We run all of them at the same time on the website. So we have like a bunch of computers running all these things in parallel. Okay? And so then instantly we come back to you and say, okay, we did 300 tests from 300 vendors and you passed all of them. So it gives you some sense of goodness. We won't do your whole computer. It's just like a testing of files. Uh, but you can also test your website. We'll crawl the website and feed into these things. And there's an API, so you can do that yourself. You can build your own tools for that. Run through all the things at once. It's all free. 
But here's the, well, the privilege we take for that is if, if you upload a file to us to test, don't send us your top secrets, okay? If you upload a file to us to test, and it turns out that some of the, malware, some of the badware, malware, virus programs find it as, as being a bad thing, and the others don't find it, then because these companies signed up with us, we send them that file, the ones that don't find it. So basically, we're trying to teach the, 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 the less perfect ones, or the less complete ones, to be as good as the best one, trying to raise the, raise the overall you know, test suite of these antivirus programs to be all be great. Okay, So we stay out of that business, but we found a way to kind of finesse making all of them be better than they were doing before. Does that make sense? Okay. That's worked pretty well. Now, what, what, what I want, or what I, what, I, what I hope, is that these examples of how Google does things when we don't have the authority but we have a position, and because we're touching the users, and these ways that are well known as security experts to make things better, like two-factor and so forth, that a combination of that could inspire you personally, not organizationally, but organizationally would be good too, but personally to say, okay, I'm an IT security expert. How can I make the national broadband in Australia be a great thing? Doesn't have a uh, other shoe falls sadness at the end. Doesn't have uh, uh, legislators like Mr. Conroy say, I told you so. You know, that, that, that doesn't have a bad end. It has a beautiful, perpetual life that bring good things to all your people. So I want you to join us in this victory job. And I, I, I just feel so confident that we can make things work great. I, I'm just, I'm confident of that. Because we're doing our part, which is the everybody a little bit part. You can do the small number of people in the key places, ISPs and so forth, distribution, import rules on routers that get passwords set. And we can really transform the quality of what's happening in your country. And Google will help you do that. I mean, we'll do whatever we can possibly do to do that. So that, those were my prepared remarks. I wanted to take questions. You can ask me questions about anything you want. So it doesn't have to be about this, anything you like. But I do hope you really think seriously about the opportunity you have to make, to be an example of this national broadband. So you're not the first example, because South Korea was really the first example. And Japan was sort of an example. It wasn't national, but it was nearly universal. <clears throat> so the combination of uh, Yahoo Japan and then South Korea, it's, we have two countries that have done this kind of thing, but never countries so big, so physically big, so populous, so, 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 so diverse, you know. Uh, in Japan, a third of the people live in one city, so that makes a lot of things easier in terms of running cable. <laughs> Last mile is pretty easy because they're all like packed in like sardines around that, that endpoint. So, so it's different than here where they're out in the middle of nowhere. So I understand it's different here. You're a better prototype for America, for Canada, for much of the world actually than these other countries are. So I just really want to see it work great for you and make it great for, great for the people who they don't know that they're counting on you, but they are counting on you, and I hope you won't let them down. Thank you very much. Now, I need somebody to ask questions. I had promised to give time for questions. Okay, let's say you right here. Are we we're good for questions, right? Oh, a microphone is running down the aisle here. This is very athletic. Sprint down the aisle with a microphone. Okay. 
Hi, my name's Karis Palmer. I'm with IT News. Um, you talked about some things that the NBN should do. I'm wondering if Google Fiber will be doing some of those things. So Google Fiber does those, uh, it doesn't do all of those things right now, but it does, it does a number of things like that. That is, we, we have the advantage of knowing, uh, you know, bad destinations. We have the advantage of doing rapid lookups. We, we have a, a thing we do called the speedy proxy. We have a, uh, pretty sophisticated proxy servers that, um, as, as, as HTML comes to you, we look up all the, all the URLs ahead of time. So when you go to look at them, we've already done all the virus checking and all the, all the malware detect detection. We've already looked in all these 300 different uh, databases of what's good and what's bad. So, so we try to get ahead of the game on that. So yes, Fiber will have some of that. But uh, the big thing on Fiber, you know, is not, I mean, not that it's not going to be good that way, but the big uh, story in Google Fiber is that we're trying to show fiber and cable operators around the world you know, how good they could be if they would just try instead of how good they could be if they try to be like the other guy and charge you know, 1% less. And, and uh, the difference is a factor of 10 to 100. So that's, it, seemed worth, it seemed worth showing because in much of the world it's a very uh, Byzantine kind of monopoly thing. So it just seems somebody should stand up and say the emperor has no clothes. Okay. Um, hello, testing. Hey. Yeah. Um, hi, Michael. Thanks. Great talk. Um, my name is Ben Grubb at the City Morning Herald. Um, you sound like a bold man at Google. You're talking about two-factor authentication, 20 to 30 percent or so having it. Why not make it mandatory? So, man, so why, why don't we make two-factor authentication mandatory? Mandatory is pretty much right out uh, for a company. Um, you know, Coca-Cola could say, you know, only Diet Coke now because you really shouldn't have all that sugar. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that companies could say, but the truth is the relationship between customers and vendors is a voluntary relationship. You're not in the army. It's a, just a choice. So if you didn't want to use two-factor authentication and we said you must use two-factor authentication, you just go somewhere else. And so we don't want you to go away, and if you're not going to use it, you might as well still stay with us. We can do other things for you. So we want to do the strongest encouragement we can and not be some benevolent dictatorship. The closest we come to, we know better, is the... Uh, the dangerous, deadly malware sites that we just, for reasons we believe, the minute you click, you're doomed. We, 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 we like put up all these interstitial pages making you, you know, go on a saga before you get to the bad site, right? Hoping you'll tire before you get there, right? So th th that's the, but you can always just cut and paste the URL if you're, you know, desperate. But, but uh, th that's as close as we come to uh, forcing anybody to do anything. We, we try to educate, we try to share, we try to make it the smart path be the easy path. But beyond that, you know, it's your own life. So that, that's, why, that's why we don't. We, we can't. Whereas, on the other hand, if I was the Australian Minister of Internet Hygiene on the National Broadband Network, I could do that. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, there's different situations. We're just a company. Would I recommend that? I would say that is a dangerous slope. All right? And so the question was, would I recommend this, you know, mandated goodness? The problem is, there are lots of kinds of bad, and some are, there's a bright line that are really bad. That, that is, the minute you click, you know, your machine's taken over, it becomes part of a botnet and all your stuff. That clearly, that's like bad no matter what. Okay, unless you're an IT researcher trying to get infected to test or something. Other than that, it's bad for everybody in the world. So those things, yeah, you can make those uh, illegal or not illegal, but you know, require some special button. In, in the shower, sometimes, I travel all the time in hotels, the, the shower knobs are always different, and there's, the, the good ones, have this uh, one knob for the volume, the, you know, the, pre the pressure, and one for the temperature. And they usually have a little button where you turn it all the way to hot, it won't go all the way, it stops. You have to put the button down to go hotter, right? 
That, something like that seems like a great thing to do. And that's what we try to do. And if you want it really hot, it's your business, right? But, if you, but at least you shouldn't be surprised and burn your baby, right? And so, so we make it something like that, where you know you're going into the like, forbidden zone, and you have to say, I want to go into the forbidden zone, and then you go. And so that, 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 that's uh, our aspiration would be like to be as good as a shower knob, okay? Okay, that's a good question. Is there anybody, nothing personal, but anybody who's not a reporter? Um, <laughs> like like who, 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 who wants to be a great uh, IT person and has a question? Hello? Here we are. Yes, sir. Bill Cayley, IISEC. A quick one. Can you tell us what Google is doing with DNS SEC? As we know, are you at the, do I know I'm at HTTPS www.google.com, DNSSEC 996, nothing's happened. Can you tell us what Google's doing with DNSSEC? You know, in, in, in large part of the world, we're reduced to being a, an advocate. Um, you know, we operate in, in 200 countries, and uh, there are some countries, basically the G20 type countries, where the more goodness we can bring or Microsoft can bring or whoever can bring, you can bring, the country wants that. You know, new things, better things, safer things, whatever, everybody wants that, right? And then there's a, a, a very large, surprisingly large, actually, set of countries where such things aren't necessarily wanted. And so it puts us in an awkward position sometimes. So, so we always advocate for what we believe, but we can't always just turn on what we believe. And so, and so I would just have to say that we're, you know, our, 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 our forwarding to the HTTPS site is about the most aggressive thing that we do other than when we're fetching things for you. Or like if you use Chrome, so if you use Chrome, for example, let me go back. If you use Chrome, we have, we have you in a special way. If you use Chrome, we control the actual parsing of the HTML, you know, so to speak. So that means we, we can see what's coming. In Chrome, we run every tab as a separate virtual machine. Okay, none of them can write to the hardware. And we actually copy the bits out of the out of the out of each each virtual machine's frame buffer and paste it onto a, a common frame buffer. So there's no way rogue software can do anything other than take down one tab in a browser. We can only do that when we actually control some of the software, which normally we don't do. But in the uh, the Chromebook Pixel, where it's uh, Chrome running in hardware, we can do that. In a PC, uh, Windows, or Apple, or, or, or Linux, we can do that. So, so there certainly, there are some things we can do where we push new things closer to users, despite the government's apprehensions. But as far as um, major, major DNSSEC things, uh, or things that involve even um, agitation about how, how uh, router tables are updated, uh, we get a pushback from a lot of countries. And my, my colleague, my, my, my peer, Vint Cerf, um, spends his whole time talking to people who want to break the internet. He spends his entire life talking to people whose goal is to break the internet. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, from our point of view, break, maybe from their point of view, fix. But, uh, um, <clears throat> so there are a lot of people who, all these things we talk about, aren't welcome. And so it's interesting. It's like even, there are countries where GPS devices aren't welcome because they tell the truth and it's not legal to show the actual location in that country. You know, so there's just, it's a big world and not all like Australia. Australia, Canada, UK, US, you know, New Zealand are all kind of the same in a certain way. Um, but not every country is the same in the way that we're all the same. Okay. Thank you very much. A question and a, and a comment. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, time's up.